business and to try to get a sense of just a little bit of the flavor of, of what the Torah says on these issues. Um, of course, anytime you have a question in, in how to behave as a Jew, there's going to be a lot of variables. So what I found in researching here is that it's not, you know, you want to talk about business, it's not going to be strictly business law because there's always going to be other laws as well uh, that are going to be related. So I, f- I found something interesting, like some of the laws of how to deal with competition uh, in business, they relate to the laws of love your fellow as yourself, right? Because even though you have a competitor, right, doesn't mean that they lose their status of someone that you have to treat with respect and dignity, but even love. So it's kind of weird. It's, it's a little bit of a different feeling, like, no, these, these are your competitors, these people that you want to fail, because their failure equals your success, or at least your, and then you're told you got to love them. So it's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, startling, I think, um, from the attitude that we, we're used to in, uh, in, in a business environment, or commonly used to in business environments. I wanted to start off talking about um, this whole idea of, of disclosures. Um, this, of course... Uh, can be in the form of a business. So you have a used car dealer. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's a stigma of used car dealers. I, uh, I, we bought our van, we bought an Odyssey. I bought it with a used car dealer. Uh, how so? He's like, you know, just buy the used car, used car, but instead of buying it from a used car dealer, I'll take you with me to the used car auction and you just buy it straight. Uh, and I see all the people. All the people there are all used car dealers, and it seems like maybe it was just <laughs> the uh, reputation that they uh, that they have earned. But it's common what I found, and this to me was very shocking. It's common. It's standard almost when a used car dealer buys a car at the auction to roll back the odometer. Like that's. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even with electronic odometer. Oh, they don't care. So what? It makes it even easier. Yep. Or yes. And how do people do that? Like, yeah. uh, you know, the people that the people that they sell to, they sell to them. Just come in every two weeks and give us two hundred dollars in cash, and we'll charge oh, you twenty five percent interest. And the second you miss the payment, <laughs> we have a GPS. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, on the bottom. When you, you'll, then th- tomorrow morning, you won't have a car. No big deal. And, of course, we'll have the fees to make up so you don't have any equity. But, like, is it possible to be a used car dealer and to fulfill the laws of Torah? No. I, I don't know. I, just, uh, I was really pondering this question. I, I, it should, but will you make any money? Um, uh, but the question is like this. Does a used car dealer, let's say he knows the faults of the car, you know, used cars are, are not perfect, right? There's going to be leaks, this, you know, the you know, transmission or whatever, or the axles... What, you know, would that be allowed? Like, what what must you say? What must you not say? Like, what could you have to say? Everything? Will you ever make the sale? <laughs> yeah, you just keep lowering the price. <laughs> Will you make any money? You know, if if you actually knew everything that was wrong with the car, it could be a long list. You know, what do you do then? Like, can't, interesting question, right? Now, the idea of uh, the question or the the issue of disclosures. There's another very common area um, of life where it's totally different from you. Well, maybe it's not so different, but um, you have a potential someone that you're dating, right? 
there's a spouse, potential spouse, right? Now, you are taking uh, insulin shots every day, let's say, and you're fine. But you need a shot every day for the rest of your life, right? Let's say, let's assume, right? That's common. Do you have to disclose that? Absolutely. Do you have to? Well, what, what, what must you disclose? What must not you? What, what should you? I might get to know them a little bit more before I The basis of a successful marriage is communication. Okay, I don't, you know, that even, I think, may trump love, because love is, you know, you know, so, well, I mean, it's not, commitment love is, and commi- uh, communication are different. Communication is okay, but commitment is even more important. Well, of course, Either way, but, yes. but, com- but communication probably goes hand in hand with commitment, because if you're not communicating, how can you be committed? I had, so, a, lot of, uh, I had a lot of experience with this in practice, with, in uh, Talking to my multiple sclerosis patients who were dating and when to tell them that they had sclerosis. So, so not the first date necessarily, yeah. but after the second or third date, if it's getting a little bit more, you should. Yeah, but multiple. Sometime before the wedding night, right? Well, a long time <laughs> yeah. before the wedding night. Unless you, unless you might find uh, out the wedding night. MS is very you know, different than diabetes. <laughs> oh, yes. No, you it's know. different. It's different. Uh, absolutely. It impacts you and your spouse probably far more differently than. Well, less than they used to, but still, yes. So these are very interesting questions. And now, and now the question is also, like, what if it's not something like, God forbid, someone has MS, which is, uh, which is a degenerative disease, where you get worse and worse and worse, right? Um, insulin is kind of, you can manage it. What if it's a, if it's a God forbid, a mental uh, dis- uh, disorder? That's, where you have, that's you have, a real problem. But, but, you know, with today's medications... You take your medications and, and you're fine. You, you tell them be, you're on medication and it's fine. I mean, you know, I, I don't see how you can. I don't see how you can rightfully conceal something like that. Well, okay. Well, what if about the history, family history of say heart disease, and cancer? You're going to have children <laughs> with that person. Right? Mm. It just it's goes. It's so natural. I mean, I told so Barbara my father had a heart attack yeah. in nineteen eighty in, in, when he was. No, in if you're talking about some you know, genetic disease that you know something like Huntington's disease in the family, yeah. Huntington's Korea, where half the kids get it and uh, they get demented and they later in life, and it came over on the Mayflower. Huntington. So the question is: Is there? <laughs> can we say are there different categories of problems? That you would man, you would be mandated to disclose versus other things that are kind of, you know, that that, that may kind of scare a potential spouse, a spouse, but it's not it's not, it's not really justified. So, for example, so I found these questions: if someone has a fear of flying, right? So they're like John Madden; they need to take their trip. They want they want to go to New they want to go to New York. They got to take a van, yeah, right? right? So, <laughs> so that's an inconvenience in life, right? Do you have to tell your potential spouse of every potential inconvenience that could happen? I don't see and how you can come out. Well, it's like this. Are you going to travel no, as husband and wife? It's going to be pretty hard to, to hide. Well, okay, but think about it this, think about it this way. In, in certain circles, right, in the more religious circles, the dating is merely a means to an end, right? The dating thing the, is a to, I mean, it's a different... Oh, yeah, so it's like, itself. we're going to take a couple of dates... Depends how many is it? Five days? Is it ten days? Is it twenty days? But it's it's a fixed amount. It's not it's not forever, and then we'll decide maybe, you know, to get married. It's dating with intention of, of determining eligibility of this as a potential spouse. So then it gets a little bit more dicey because it's not like you're spending 
years and years with a person, whatever, you know, you kind of get to know them, you're kind of hybridly married just without, uh, you know, you know, without, without benefits, or, or, you know, you're just filing taxes jointly, but you're con- or separately, but you're, you're basically kind of living together, you got to get to know that person really well, but if it's just, you're just dating uh, as a means to find out if this person is, is, is appropriate for you, you're not going to find out if they have a fear of flying, or if they are taking insulin shots, or if they're, you know, if every morning they're taking uh, medication for... Why not? Uh, imbalances. Why, why wouldn't you find? Well, what do you talk the question about? Is what day? what must you say? Now, also, what? Don't. <laughs> <There's other things laughs> <about that>. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things, you're discussing your future. You say, I want to. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. How could you not? It's got to be pretty superficial communication. I'm if, if you don't yeah. Well, I, I, yes, and all, well, the question is, I think it's, I think it's more than that. Of course, of course, yeah. there's communication about future, but I, I think that also, the question is, what must you disclose, or what must, and, and and what can you kind of say? This is not something that it's interesting because, like, sometimes you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to torpedo a relationship that could be fine for something that would just. Scare someone off, you know. Now you just so, walk for in example, with a list. All the things in the beginning. This is it. You Remember the, the Joy Luck Club? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's I it. mean, you know, I think this is <laughs> So, some examples here. It's possible for someone to get unfairly discriminated against. How so? Someone has a sibling that got cancer. Now, I don't, I don't know the statistics, but I, I'm pretty sure that's not something that's necessarily hereditary. It's, not some, it's, it's just chance. So, if a person has a sibling, but that can freak someone out. Your sibling had leukemia, or you know, and, or, you know, or you, some, it, it, it could be kind of a little bit, it's a little scary, you know, for someone. And of course, it's not, it's not rational, but the question is, something like that would you have to disclose? Some other interesting what questions. What if you can't have kids? Should you disclose that? Oh, well, I think that you would definitely need to disclose because. Well, I don't know. We're, we seem to be trying to pick and choose here. I'm saying yeah. even even in or the greater can. society, like to, that yeah. that to me that's something to know that you can't have children with someone. I think is that that's something that you certainly would want to know. Yeah. Now there have been stories, by the way. This is this is this is important because there have been stories. I'm familiar with stories where there were certain like real issues that weren't disclosed and they were you know deal breakers mm-hmm. and then like if you see like a like I've seen this before like a, they get married and then like a week later they're divorced what happened right Can, can't have been that bad right so that's that's more like an annulment because if you discover something about the person that is a you know is, you know is a total no go uh, then that's a mistake and everyone suffers then because you know, not now they, they had to go through all that and should have been avoided and could have been avoided. Some other interesting questions here. Um, age discrimination. So you want to work, uh, you want to apply for a job in a certain company or business, and if you're kind of old, they can invest so much in you. I don't know. So that's... Well, I'm, I, well, the point is, is that it's yes, it's it's not fixed. It's not fixed. But the point is, can you kind of? Would you be allowed? Would you be allowed to kind of dye your hair? Of course. Well, uh, but you're you're deliberately deceiving. I mean, your only intention is to, to deceive the company, the interviewers, 
that they should think that you're younder and they should want to hire you more. Because they want to look young. Oh my God! Well, that you can't recognize anybody on television. No, but I mean, so that they're employable, so they can compete in the market. They all look alike. They all have the puffy cheeks. Or that? Yeah. You can do it on as well. Yes. You can fib if you're too young and make yourself older. You know, I mean, it's for different. I mean, people really patriotic people. That's also sexist. What? Well, but the, because the larger percentage of well, men and the women, the larger but, percentage of women would be the ones altering, not men. But if yeah, women, but if men are doing that is true. But what's the, the men on television? Oh, no, but what's also interesting is that it's it's <laughs> yes, you're right. I, I but like the truth is, is that way. some people yeah. do discriminate, and if they discriminate, you should you should people yeah. suffer and lose potential employment opportunities because of other people's? You know, no, uh, they so they should you so you know. But the question is like that: like, are you allowed to deceive someone? Is that is that okay? It's not really deceiving. Yeah, well, self forward. There's a reason but, the makeup counters at Macy's are busy. Okay? Yeah, but is, 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 is your best? There. Yes, it is your best self. But it, your best self kind of uh, rolls back the odometer. How is it different than rolling back the odometer? How is that different? Because we are full of potential. No, but you want to buy a car, and you're, you're, the car has an expected life uh, value, 250,000 miles. You roll back the odometer. Now it looks like it's better. You're hiring an employee. You're saying, this employee, I, I'm going to have him until 65, and I'm investing in the employee. Now they're rolling back the odometer. There is a difference. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's interesting. You are changing a fact. Mm-hmm. It was uh, 120,000 miles, now it's 20,000 miles. So the fact has changed, which affects how that machine works. Okay. If I but it also affects, hey, okay. This is, this is not my natural hair color. No. Sorry. <laughs> All right. But if I, I decide to dye my hair, if I, just, if I became unemployed and I decided to dye my hair, I decided to have a little facelift, because I don't want to be perceived as incompetent because I'm over 50. It's not that I, my competence has changed. It's not that I'm a different person. It's that I don't want you to think. Yeah, but the car as I well. The car drives fine. This car drives great. It's 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 changing it's changing the function. You are changing the function. What about a I, I agree. That there is a I mean, first of all, a car odometer is against the law. Okay? Getting a facelift. Some cars, they last forever. Getting a facelift is not illegal. That's fair. Okay. Yes, sir. So, the, so of course, of course, all this has to be un, with an understanding that it has to be fit into the law of the land. You can't say that I'm going to do something illegal because right. So this is of course within that framework. But I, I think it's a legitimate comparison, or at least initially, that like some cars, you know, they die after 100,000 miles, you know, but some cars make it to 250 or even 300. But the you know, odds but are, if you know it's a massive and the engine's good and they usually go to 300,000, that's fine. But if it's a, like yeah. a little Toyota or something that's Monday, it's not going to make 300,000. Exactly. Take, take insurance, okay, which is indirectly part of my industry. Uh, you know, you cannot say, you cannot say I, uh, I have, uh, and 
our physicians here uh, will will certainly attest to this. You know, if you've got, uh, you know, if you've had a heart attack, you can't apply for insurance and say you've never had a heart attack. They ask you that. That is that and is. They thought. can investigate. You have to okay. sign your life away. They can invest. They can look it up. The records. Right. Yeah, but and then but, if the death comes, yeah, and they but find there so was that, so uh, that, two so, years. So that demonstrates yeah. that that the actuaries. <laughs> That have figured out the likelihood of someone dying, right? And and can you lie about your age? Also not. Why not? Right? Because because that is going against what the interests of the other party. Of course, but it's but it's it's also deception, right? Like they they are insuring you at a certain certain bracket based on the actuarial tables, and they say like if someone is older, they're more likely to have heart uh, you know heart problems and cancer and whatever and and, and die. Well, an employee—you don't want your employee to die, right? So, the older they are, the more likely they are to be, you know, you know, to have health problems. I'm just saying the question is a good question. I, I, I'm not trying to take it aside. I'm just—I think you're going to spend your life with someone. Too much. If you're going to make that kind of commitment, there are a few commitments that are more more significant than that. I don't think you can withhold anything. Like you say, maybe not on the first date, but if it's going to be any kind of meaningful relationship, you have to be open with each other. Yeah. Uh, you cannot really hide anything. Now, that, you know, if my, you know, three generations ago I had someone that, that, that shoplifted or whatever, whether you need to bring that up, I mean, I guess there's some common sense in it. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, and so, like my, my oldest son's first marriage, his, his wife's father was, was in jail for embezzling from the Ohio police and fire. He ran <laughs> He was in jail for five. I never met the guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some, but, but I we mean, did know about it, though. Yeah. I certainly think any kind of illness. My son uh, met I certainly think any kind of. My son met him in jail. Because that affects, you know, and if there's true love there, you know, maybe there's going to be a way to work around it. you got to work around your problems if you pay for the wedding. It was the first marriage. When my husband met me, he thought I was a lot younger. Because his first two wives were like 20, and when he found out I was in like my early 30s, he was like, oh my gosh, you're like a dinosaur. And he kept saying it, but then like we got married and we were married for a while. But you know, there's no perfect. Okay, so let's try to see what the sources say. I mean, you're just closing things about yourself. I mean, what if there's something that, you know, could affect from even not only yourself, but like a situation, like his, you know, yeah, so this is, it's interesting. Like, there, there's some sort of line, with, you know, the things that you have to in certain situations and some where it's kind of, uh, you can avoid that. So let's see what the sources say. So, so clearly, um, the first source uh, talks about a seller. Someone is selling an item. Uh, it would be against Torah law for them to, uh, um, to not disclose the potential blemishes of whatever is being sold. Not only that, Whatever imperfections or promises, um, imperfections or or or, imp- uh, um, or blemishes that uh, the item has, it would be the seller's responsibility to disclose it. It doesn't mean that the seller has to be honest when the buyer asks and inquires about said product, said 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 item. Rather, it's the seller's responsibility to up you know upfront to make that disclosure. You know, we have like for example, you sell. A house, house like the, there's a mandatory seller's, seller's disclosure, yeah. you know, and that's because people otherwise wouldn't do it. So you buy a house, and suddenly 
you know, you, everything's broken and the air conditioners are working and the plumbing has problems, right? that's a problem because people aren't following this law. But by Torah law, you'll be mandated to do that. Now, thankfully, in, in America, you're mandated to do that as well by common law as well. So wouldn't the Torah thus say that the, the, uh, the auctioneer who alters the odometer and then tries to sell it has to say, I push back this odometer before he sells it? He would have to do that. He would have okay. to say that, which would, I think... Now, what if um, my disclosure of the product I'm trying to sell would lower the value of the product? Still got to do it, right? It's the right thing to do. Now, there's an interesting kind of gray area where the disclosure is scary, uh, but it's actually, that doesn't affect the value of the item. So, for example... In, in real estate, do you have to disclose if someone was someone died or someone was murdered in the house? So it's I think it depends depends on the difference. Now does it matter if someone was murdered in the house? And there's no bearing in the house. No, no And that would just you know, but it, it just kind of gives people the goosebumps, you know. He did it in The Shining, if you remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, no, it, it happened ten years ago. There's no problem with purity laws, right? Mm-hmm. So someone was shot and killed tragically in the house, right? Does that affect really the value, the function of the house? Certainly yes. not. It does. It, it does. It does. Also, if you don't know about it, you don't know about it. It doesn't bother you if you don't know about it. But if someone says. Over here, in the kitchen, right? You know, someone came in with a knife. Like, you're, every time you're in the kitchen, you're thinking about that, right? And that's uh, harmful. So do you have to disclose that? So it's information that doesn't at all really affect the value of the function of the product if you don't know about it. It's not like the plumbing or the air conditioning or whatever or the foundation. But it's just, little, it'll give people the creeps and it'll lower what they're willing to pay for that's it. That's a little more interesting question, I think. So yeah, there's an interesting more, Talmud oh, yeah, about this. Somebody tells you and then your neighbor says, oh, great to oh, meet yeah. you, you know, here's a cake. Um, no, welcome <laughs> to the neighborhood, like they used to do that. Um, and you says, bought you know, the ghost house or something. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. believe it, but, you know, you not too long ago, house. the house went on sale after there was a yeah. blankety-blank. Yeah, but then it's... Well, there's chocolate line on the floor. It's... But legally, it's, now, well, that's not that's right. So ready. That I, that no, that wouldn't that would that wouldn't necessarily no. Because it's not. I'm saying it's the the question is does the seller have to have to? Oh, so so the Talmud says something very interesting. The Talmud says that what happens so uh, if you have a, um, a a non-Jewish father and a Jewish mother. So according to everyone in the halacha, child is a thousand percent Jewish. No questions whatsoever. There's no debate. But, you know, he, there's a stigma. The Talmud says that even in times of the Talmud, people say, well, your dad's not Jewish, maybe that would be a stigma in certain communities. So, Talmud says a very interesting story about one of the rabbis, and the, he has a student, the student's a hundred, a thousand, million percent Jewish, uh, but his dad's not Jewish, and he's having a hard time acclimating to the community. So he tells him, move out of town, go someplace else, don't tell anyone about it, Change your name to Cohn or uh, or Goldman, and and just move on with your life. That's that's the advice that the rabbi that the rabbi gives. Now, clearly, this is once again information that is not doesn't actually affect anything about the person. The person's one hundred percent Jewish, and he is by his own merits, he's his own person. 
Uh, but it's something that would, you know, it would needlessly cause him or cause others to cast him in a certain light and have some sort of uh, um, stigma that he'd have to live with. And, and clearly he could see that he could run away, go to some other city, and not tell anyone about it, and he does not need to disclose that. Uh, so based upon this Gemara, uh, based upon this Gemara, some of the commentaries say that if someone has either in, in business or in personal relationships, if someone has something, information that um, is not indeed, um, it won't affect the transaction or the marriage or the relationship, but it would kind of be scary and people would be like a little bit hesitant to, uh, uh, to partake in it, they would not need to disclose it. So an example, if someone had some sort of scary medical procedure, but they're a thousand percent fine, you know, Someone, someone had cancer, right, uh, when they were 12. Um, God forbid, right? But they're, but they're fine. They went through chemo, and they went through this, and they went through surgery, and they're fine. They're totally clean. <laughs> now... Funny, because it reminds me when, when just before I was get, got married, my wife told me that she had, when she was 10, she had some tumors removed from her leg mm-hmm. at, at Temple University, where I go to med school. <laughs> so I went and looked them up from 30 some years ago. They were all benign. Well, I wanted to know what the hell they were. I knew they were benign. <laughs> well, how could you? How could you get because it's you? But it wasn't her. You you had authorized. You or did you go around? As a medical student, I just went to radiology and requested the film. <laughs> In those days, we didn't have all this HIPAA crap. You know. <laughs> This when you said she told you. I thought it was more recent. So no, no, no. She told me to wait for information. Right. So the question is, how does this apply to changing your appearance for job? So there's a, an interesting discussion about this because according to some, they extend this principle to dyeing your hair, for example, to make you appear a little younger and to According avoid... to who? Some Talmud scholars? Some of the posting, which means the halakhic authorities that uh, discuss these things at great length. We're doing a very little... We're doing a little, dipping our toe into this, well, these kinds could, of questions. That could apply to makeup. You change your face every time you put makeup on. Right, uh, but that doesn't so, mean you shouldn't put on makeup because well, you're not that's putting on makeup. Question. You're not doing anything are different. They? If that's who you are, that's who you are. But the point is, can someone who never dyes their hair but now they're having an interview tomorrow and they want to look a little bit younger because they know, justifiably or otherwise, that this company is going to discriminate against people that are old. Right? Can they do that? So it's, it's not like this is, you know, they, you know they, they brush their hair and they get dressed like a mensch, right? And they put a makeup. That's not the question. That's what they do every day. But the question is, can they say, tomorrow I have an interview, I want to deceive the interviewer, interviewers to make them think that I'm younger... And because I'm going to be either justifiably or unjustifiably um, um, I think so untreated. It's not so, so much a deceit as an attempt to avoid unlawful discrimination. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, you're giving the reverse thing, but I, I agree okay. with you. But the boss lying goes to raise So they're eventually going to get your authentic self. But, but then it might be too late. But that's exactly. the point. It's too late to discriminate unlawfully against you. After they hire you, and then they well, fill out the final forms and you give your hearing. Except in the government. Well, think about it this way. Okay, so, so but based upon this tomorrow, that someone can um, 
not disclose something which doesn't affect who they are in a material way, uh, there are those that want to extend that to, to doing something like that, that, uh, that they may appear, they try to make themselves appear younger to apply for a job because uh, they don't want the unwarranted age discrimination. Question. What now, about the woman who's, <coughs> who's pregnant? She knows she's pregnant. She applies for a job. I saw this um, discussion. She's pregnant. She doesn't know. She should tell the employer. But she she's not showing. But then, yes, she'll start to show. Does she have to say? I think that will be the same pregnant. question. But that does affect. It does, aff- it, it that does affect. It can affect the employer with the hiring. If I have the same qualifications as he does, but right, but what's going to happen in, in, in a couple of months, you know, you'll be AWOL for a couple of months, right? My, so, company has, skill set, no, that they based, oh, But that's not what they're hiring. They're hiring you as an employee. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, they have a business decision to make unrelated to your personal situation. So if you're going to... disclose it? Of course you have to disclose it. If, if, they, they, if they have making a decision which will cost them money... If you cannot stay on, they got to take all the factors into consideration. It could be anything like it has nothing to do with qualification. But if, if, they, if they hired him instead of her, well, what if he had an illness? Well, he should disclose. Yeah, that he disclose that. If he does, if he does not aware, the question is, what's the responsibility of him to? Well, well, okay, you have to disclose an abortion to your to be. If she had an abortion and. The woman's gone out with this guy. They're thinking about getting married. She had an abortion in the past, or she gave up a child in the past. Should she have to disclose that? I think she should. I think that's another. And I'm very pro-life, but to me, that's that's a legal thing she did. Unfortunately, it's it's legal. But you know, but the point is, it it works up here. Guilt and all this other crap. I don't think that she's a woman. I don't think she voted for Trump. Said she has to to disclose. (laughs) I just can't resist. Well, so, <laughs> now, um, there, is a, uh, there is a dissenting opinion. So, um, Between us, you mean? No, there's a dissenting opinion. And, 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 and that's why, like, this is an exploration of a topic, and I, I don't feel qualified to make a decision to ar- you know, arbitrate between people that are much greater Torah scholars than all of us combined. Um, but there is another, a, a, an alternative opinion that says that there are v- important practical considerations that a company may make when they decide who to who to uh, who to hire. Uh, for example, there's recruiting and training and um, other costs that go into having an employee. If you know that this employee has a certain shelf life, you know, and and that would affect your decision whether or not to hire them. So it's not immaterial information the, the, their age. Now, of course, there may be actual laws um, in the United States about age discrimination. Um, but this is not needless discrimination. This is really a, a, a decision based upon um, uh, the interests of the company, and, th- and thus it may actually matter. And they may, it may indeed involve a certain degree of deception that would not be allowed. Um, there's an interesting question that Talmud says. Talmud says, what about if you have a slave? Now let's put the questions about slavery in the side, okay? <laughs> Let, let, let's, let, let's table those, you know, those questions. We'll talk about it some other time. But maybe when we talk about the Torah portions, we'll talk about slavery. Yeah, hi. Well, what if, you, if there's a woman who's married two years, she's planning to have a family, and... But she's not pregnant now? She's not pregnant. And, 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 she, and they're going for a 
Well, you cannot you cannot affect the, um, the prejudices of of the other person, right? I don't think so. Well, you could maybe big picture, but if they have prejudices, you know that's fixed. The question is, if something that's not even around now, like I'm thinking, we're thinking about maybe having a family, she's not even pregnant now. I, I would think you certainly don't need to. Uh, don't need to disclose that because there's nothing material now, and they know they they see if there's a, they see a, a woman and that's who's young who has who's married okay. they'll know that she right. may there is a chance that she may want to have a family. I don't, you can't ask that question. Uh, well, that's what clear. I was about to ask. Now, wait, can't you say you're planning to have a family. Of course soon. not, but no, no, wait a minute. you can't affect you their prejudices, right? No, no, they're they're there and they see you. Prejudice. It's just common sense, which now getting out of date. Right? Yeah. In modern society, at least in this country. Yeah. But for instance, so in I think that's certainly according to all opinions, you would not need to disclose because there's nothing you need to disclose. Well, wait a minute. Right? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. Does, I know we have physicians here. I don't know if we have lawyers, but what is or does everybody's a lawyer? What? In, in my, but, but you're saying it's illegal for yeah, an employer to ask a right. simple question, yeah, what yeah, is yeah, your, do you that. plan about, why shouldn't they be able no, to ask that? If you ask this question, you're so screwed. <laughs> I want to take something. I will come after you. you. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Okay, we've got a bunch of lay people saying it's against the law. Uh, 40 but I years in human okay. resources. Can I just give you a, a factual example? Okay, I work for Chick-fil-A. Most of y'all know that. Mm-hmm. You know, they asked me when I interviewed with them, uh, what is your feelings on premarital sex? What? Uh, they will ask you the most private questions. They can't do that. They I know that. Okay, but there is a reason. Well, it was 30 years ago. But there is a reason. They have managers that, that work with 15, 16-year-old girls. They don't want some pervert. They've got an image to protect. Okay, they don't want some, you know. So they have a reason for doing the only and thing I they can do is they can check you don't out have their to work arrest them history. They can check out their arrest history if they've been arrested, but if they've never been arrested... But they're also trying to get into the character of the person they're about to hire. But they can't I use those questions. They're not allowed okay. to do that today. So, you can't even ask... You can't even... The only way you can find about their health is to say, can you have any health issues? That will interfere with your ability to do your work. Okay. We've got a bunch of so, lawyers here. Right? No, no. Well, I... I look. I was sure you have to know that. Yeah, you have to know. That. So if they ask you, what's your feeling towards the sex with sixteen-year-old, right? right? What exactly are you gonna say? Yes, I love it. Or if you want to joke, you say no. I don't like it. Right? So the Talmud says something very clearly. Let's say someone has a slave. Now let's table the questions about slavery and the morality behind slavery. Um, but it was a fact that the times of Talmud, 2,000 years ago, slaves was common. People owned slaves and to sell them and buy them, right? That's, that's a fact, right? Would, so Talmud entertains the question, would someone be allowed to dye the hair of the slave that they're selling? Make the slave seem younger, I guess. Yes. Well, that's yeah. an extension of yourself. They can do it for the job. They can do it for the slave. For yeah, why not? But this is, I think this is almost exactly like changing the odometer, right? Because you're not buying the person's employment. You're buying the person. Yeah. Right? Of course, there's big moral problems with that. Of course, right? But if you're buying the person itself, it's like you're buying the car itself, and you're Almost exactly dialing back the odometer. 
So Talmud actually says that that is not permitted. This is why it's interesting that there are those that conclude that in modern times when someone is selling their employment, they would be allowed to dye their hair, but in ancient times when someone was selling their slave, they would not be allowed to. But what about caveat tempter? Buyer be aware. Yeah. <laughs> right, but, but the... You can look at the slave and say, hey, he doesn't really look like a 25-year-old, more like 70-year-old. Right? <laughs> Maybe probably caveat, could yeah. be caveat venture. Yeah. yeah. Caveat venture is 47th Street. Yeah, so probably he's 70-year-old. <laughs> I was not going to send him to that uh, stone quarry, right? Now, so that's uh, one branch of the, of the discussion concludes that information that's not material and it's kind of in the gray zone, it doesn't really affect the performance of someone on, in their job, they would not be, need to disclose it, and that would apply of course uh, as well Can to marriage, even though marriage I would say it's, because it's much more of a commitment, it's probably smart to disclose as much as possible. Can we talk about money lending and usury laws? <laughs> we can. We can, we, 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 what we can do is we can table our plans of doing 54 talks on the Torah and just have a few more talks on this. Very complex laws. Yes. Very, very complex. Huh? Dipping toes. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, like, I'm for not... For instance, in Islam, you cannot charge percent. You do something else. You call, oh, oh, this, how's it called? This, uh, uh, bonds, Islamic bonds? Which comply with... Yeah, I know about American bonds. Yeah. But what about in uh, Judaism? Yes, yes. There is... There are certain prohibitions against charging interest. Now, this applies, interestingly, only to Jews. Um, to your fellow. To your fellow Jews. This, really? is, a, this is like a community thing. It's not like, a, it's not like a, 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 a principal financial philosophy thing. You're not allowed it's to okay charge interest to other Jews. To other right. Jews, right. So how That's can right. you stay, so you can only stay in business by being outside your community if you're in the... No, so that's why I said it's that's complicated because the there are lending to Christians. And right, because the Christians, the Christians were yeah. not allowed to do any form of usury whatsoever, um, and the Jews would very often be the money lenders, and they would have um, very, very, very low interest rates of like forty-five percent uh, <laughs> annually, which um, the prevailing numbers of the time were over two hundred percent. Yes, yeah, so this is like uh, like payday loans. Like you're saying that that <laughs> time, they must have lost a lot of uh, Christians were not allowed to be in the. That's right. Christians weren't doing those kinds of uh, of businesses, and Jews were not allowed to own land and have other kinds of businesses. So it was kind of a very good fit. Jews were good with money, good with numbers. So cook. But they had to have the money to be able to loan it. <laughs> They had depositors. They loan the money at forty-five percent and pay five percent interest. Is that it? Something yeah, like that. On the other hand, <laughs> so the now, so there are there, there is so uh, back to this age discrimination thing. So there is this one brand that says information that's not material. That's just. Uh, you know, people are going to unfairly judge you. You don't need to disclose that. Alternatively, there's an, another opinion, another, another branch in, in the discussion that's going to say that even if the information that you feel is irrelevant, but 
would be a cause of concern for the other party in this transaction, be it marriage or business or employment or whatever, you would need to disclose it. Uh, now, what do you do with the Gemara that says, according to this opinion, that says that you do need to disclose it? What, how do you understand the Gemara that says that the rabbi told this, this, his student to travel elsewhere and don't tell anyone about his family history? Uh, they say that case would be different because in that case, that was... Uh, going against the opinion of the rabbi, where the rabbi said, don't discriminate, and they were discriminating nonetheless, thus, as a way to prevent the people from discriminating (coughs) against the Torah, he told them to go and not inform, uh, not inform uh, the people of his new community of his past history. Well, instead of, uh, instead of educating the community about how you shouldn't you can educate it, but if people have prejudices, it's very hard to just on a dime to have them change it. Now, um, there is um, questions that were asked in modern times. Uh, someone that has, uh, there was a girl who had a dermatological disorder that she lost all her hair and she's wearing a wig. But it's a wig that kind of looks really good and can be confused uh, with real hair. Uh, so that, everyone seemed to agree that you would need to disclose that. Um, um, other examples here. Oh, so now w- what is included? So there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of variables that go into this question. Uh, for example, we mentioned earlier, there's the question of you have to love your fellows yourself, and that implies, of course, somebody doing business with, certainly someone that you're going to entertain uh, going into a marital relationship with, you have to love them as well, and don't do to them something you want you don't want to be done to you. And if you want to know that kind of information about your fellow, about your potential spouse, why would you deny them that information about you? Um, similarly, um, you cannot, um, if you have a, of a of a lost item that you found of someone else, you have to return it to them. Now, of course, that would not only be limited to lost items, but also lost pieces of information. If this person is trying to access information, and you have it, and they're looking for that information, there are those that want to compare those two ideas, that there's information that you have that they're looking for, and just like if they're looking for their, you know, their car keys or whatever, you have to try to help them find it. If they're looking for information, you have to help them find that. Um, and of course, there's a general mitzvah in the Torah, not to cause anguish, to your fellow, uh, and if there's a way that you could prevent someone else from having anguish and pain, you would be obligated to do it. Of course, there's a general prohibition against lying. Uh, nowhere are we told that you are allowed to lie. So, of course, if this question is addressed straight up, you would, you would want to know. I remember when I was dating my wife, um, she told me that she has... Did you disclose everything to her? I still haven't. <laughs> what I said, I'm not going to disclose anything, but I won't disclose it even after marriage. <laughs> I guess that's okay, probably, right? Well, y'all have been married a while, so I guess you, you, you did. So, uh, she told, <laughs> so she told me that she, in course of conversation, that she has allergies. So I don't know, like, what does that mean? Like, allergies is, it can mean anything, right? So it turns out that she has very minor allergies. If there's nuts and seeds or whatever, she gets a little, you know... Runny nose or something. something like that. Yeah, nothing, right? But like some people, I remember I had a friend who married a girl and she was so deathly allergic to any forms of nuts and seeds and wheat and gluten, whatever, that we were in yeshiva during the break 
and we like went into the local bakery to get like a croissant, and he's like, oh, I can't walk into the bakery, because if I walk into the bakery, I don't even buy anything or touch anything or anything like that, that, you know, it could just be disastrous. So that's obviously something that I think everyone would agree that she must disclose beforehand. Um, but something that's like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, or obvious, you know, when, when, you know I, probably in the course of any interactions. Uh, but something that's more trivial or something, you know, they, they get hives in the summer, like that's obviously not so material, I don't, you know, that would probably, unless you, it would cause anguish, so you have to kind of find that, uh, that middle, middle so ground. There is a difference between uh, direct, explicit uh, disclosure and something that may just come up in conversation, like I have hives. Versus I am... Right. If you give me a croissant, I will die. Yeah. <laughs> or if you go into the bakery, I will die. <laughs> yeah. That it will be in her interest is, to let him know, like, on their first date, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and this, yeah. this I think, has become more common. Like, allergies mean a big deal yeah. now. Because, you know, all these schools are not free. All the kids don't have exposure, right? People like uh, peanut butter sandwiches, and oh, sure. you know, you want to surprise your peanut butter your, yeah. your your date with a, a cake with nuts in it. I mean, what that's. Or know, if you like pe- you have peanut butter sandwiches every morning, and you're gonna get married to someone who's like, if there's a peanut in the neighborhood, I'm dead, right? You know those people, right? Or you know, good insurance. yeah, or or uh, or have a have tubs of... Uh, expose the kids to these things early in life. Is like oh, yeah, of course. Or she had like a tub of Benadryl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Barbara had to find out about my weird eating habits very early on, but I wouldn't have wanted... <laughs> I mean, she, our second date, we go on a picnic, and she prepares all kinds of fruit and everything, and I hate fruit. Oh. And she worked so hard and everything. She said, I worked so hard to get this, and, you know, but she married me anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, but at least I didn't hide that from her. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> what happens if the disclosures weren't done? So, this is an interesting question. Of course, it's a very broad question. If there were disclosures that should have been done and weren't, does that uh, is it possible to annul a transaction, annul a marriage? Very, very big discussion. Talmud, for example, says if a woman, if a man marries a woman, and then they find out that either he or she is incapable of having children, so that's a game, a game changer, a deal breaker. And thus, they wouldn't even need to get divorced. They wouldn't need to get documents of divorce because the marriage was a farce. It was based on uh, on mistaken information. But what if you didn't know that you were sterile? You know that may not have come out. You know. And may, well, maybe that would be that would be the same thing as well. It's it's not it's not it's not it's not, it's not, it's not merely a question of. Uh, of the intentions of the person who has the, the malady, but rather it's just the intentions of the person who, I wouldn't have gotten myself into this. It was based on mistaken principle, mistaken understanding. But that so it's, it's, well, it's, it's but not based upon a, a malicious decision to not inform someone. Well, what percentage of people find out before they're married that they're in men or women that are infertile. So the Gemara, the Gemara gives up. Yeah, this a, day and time, probably a lot. That time, probably. Uh, but the, the Gemara gives a list, a, a list of characteristics of infertility that are readily apparent. So there, if you have Kleinfelder so, syndrome or something like that. Yeah. So, so the Gemara puts like infertility in, in different categories. There is uh, there is infertility that's apparent, you know. So, for example, if if someone doesn't have puberty, right, they never have yeah. puberty. Um, it's called an islandess. Like Mark calls it an islandess. 
Um, of course, but there could be infertility that's not aware. There's just, you know, no, no one's aware of it, and that, of course, would be, would be treated, I think, differently. Um, Yes, the, there is some sources in the Talmud, very interestingly, that talk about uh, why all the forefathers and uh, matriarchs were infertile, or at least initially infertile. Uh, very interesting Gemara um, that in, in, in Yavamos that says that this was the Almighty's way of saying that we want them to pray and to earn it. Um, Interesting you asked about that because Anna I... Yeah. Uh, interesting you asked about that because this past week when I'm doing my uh, research, my beefing up my research on Genesis to get ready for our uh, exploration of the Torah, I did encounter that particular Gemara. So interesting you asked about that. Uh, there is an opinion, just that once you asked, that even talks about uh, them actually being infertile, like being sterile, and yet the prayer was able to overcome the biological barriers. Very interesting idea. Uh, so there's a, a huge discussion about what happens uh, when uh, you know, there was a transaction based on mistaken principles, mistaken understanding, and does uh, a transaction get invalidated um, automatically? Do you have to protest so, for example, what if someone finds out uh, that their spouse has a deathly allergic to nuts? So that's, that, that would be a game changer, a deal breaker for most. But they're like, eh, maybe I can live with it. You know, if, if there's like, which is a tacit acceptance of it. You know, by the fact that they're not protesting, according to one opinion, they're not protesting, so that means they accept it. That means that if they want to uh, undo the marriage, it's too late for an annulment because there was this time where they didn't reject it explicitly. Hey, Fred, I can ask a question. Yes. It, it, is, was the, the mission that you're reading from, was that something that was in business and then the Gemara's bringing in marriage? Well, no, the, 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 yeah, it? well, the, it's a general question of what you need to inform others when you're having a transaction. Right. It's like so informed right? right, so the so Talmud talks about marriage as a transaction. And it, it is, like it's it's... Each side is committing something to the it's you know it's it's not unlike um, other monetary business transactions so the, so the, they overlap of course there's going to be differences right but in fact the the word that is even used in Talmudic sources for marriage is actually a kin which means a transaction um, so there has to be knowledge and intent and right all the things that apply to uh, to any other transaction have to be in place for a marriage as well. Um, which, by the way, um, what happens uh, if... Even, even divorce, by the way, is a transaction. So the Talmud deals with a problem if some, if some person is, um, is incapable of cogent decision-making. So someone goes crazy, Right? So they would not be a candidate for making transactions because a transaction is based, of course, upon, uh, upon uh, a conveyance of either a product or, or service or whatever in exchange for compensation. But there has to be the element of, of understanding, of knowledge, right? You have, to, you have to have a desire and intention to do that. If someone's not capable of forming those decisions, then they're not capable of doing transactions, so the, the Talmud talks about, can a child actually own anything? 
because to own something, you have to make a, even if you find something on the floor, right? You're not acquiring it from someone else. You're just acquiring it from no one. It's ownerless, which, by the way, doesn't exist in American law, but it exists in Torah law. So, but in order to acquire something, you have to actually lift it and bring it into your domain, but you have to also have intention. And the Talmud is working on the understanding that most children don't have the capacity to formulate those kinds of, uh, of, 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 of thoughts. So can a child ever own anything? And even if someone gives them something, so there is the mind of the giver in that half of the transaction, of the gifter even, and then there's the mind of the receptor or the receiver, and they have to have intention. So it's called das, by the way, in Hebrew, which means knowledge or understanding and intention. And thus, these two areas do overlap a lot. And certainly with regards to the disclosure, um, uh, they are um, frequently talked about uh, in the same sentence, so to speak. Very interesting. Of course, they're very different. What about that? Debt. What about debt? Under what circumstances the creator can enforce or seek to enforce a judgment against the debtor or some debt forgiveness? What about that? Yes. Doesn't that get into the whole usury thing? No, but uh, uh, even in a case where where there is no interest, there's a mitzvah Torah to lend money to your fellow without interest. No, 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 okay, I lend it. So there is debt, and now you want your money back, back, right? So (coughs) that person would have to to pay it to you. And you'll be able to, there's, you could create liens on their property, for example. Uh, So you lend money to someone, and they have a nice house, and that house is, um, is, is a lien. You have a lien on that house because they owe you, they owed you money. Now, they're not doing so well. They have a gambling problem. They sell their house, and they're out of money and the house. You actually have dibs on that house. Yeah. Very, very so detailed laws. Like yeah. So, is, is there any material difference between uh, uh, Jewish debtor creditor relationship laws and modern societies? Of course, there's going to be differences, yes. I'm saying this entire butcher Can you enslave... Uh, uh, like now, the only way to enslave someone... Like, someone comes and eats in the restaurant and doesn't pay, right? Oh, I left my wallet at home, right? So they make him scrub the... Right? Floor, yeah. yeah, scrub the floor. Make him wash dishes. <laughs> wash dishes, right? <laughs> now, what would happen if someone goes into the restaurant in Jewish law and, or someone borrows money and doesn't have the ability to pay? So, and there doesn't have any assets that, that, that the, uh, that the, uh, that the um, creditor can, can, can take from. So what happens then? So that actually, interestingly, there is a law that says someone can enslave themselves, which is not real enslavement, the way we understand it, because it just means that they're contracting themselves out, but they're not actually owned. Indentured servant. Indentured servant. To someone to pay their debts. The only time that that would be foisted upon someone... The only time that that would be mandated by the court is if someone steals. So if someone steals, actually commits theft um, from another person and now doesn't have the ability to pay, then the co- and doesn't, you know, doesn't have any assets to sell or anything like that, the court would actually intervene, sell the guy as an indentured servant to pay the debts. Uh, but if the, the question is, I guess, if someone eats at the restaurant and doesn't pay, is that stealing? Mm-hmm. Mm. Maybe. That's a good question. Uh, but if someone just has a debt and is doing well, doing poorly, and their business is tanking, and they will borrow money, and they don't have the ability to pay, uh, no, they would not be allowed. They wouldn't be forced into slavery or indentured servitude 
uh, to pay their to pay their so debts. They would, they would not. They would not. So basically, you need to write off the debt. No, you have the debt, and you uh, hope hope the person will get back on their feet, and they'll be able to pay you back. Do they have uh, bankruptcy laws? Uh, well, they, they, there's the shemitah and the, the shemitah law. The shemitah is every seven years at the end of the shemitah. There is a verse in the Torah that says all debts get annulled. Is it where the seven years thing when your credit history comes? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah, bankruptcy don't stay in your credit report for seven years. Very interesting. That is so interesting. Yes. Were people going out and borrowing? I mean, people denying lending people money. Of course, I would assume like so that's the thing this is the famous prisbol I might have mentioned it a few times here I don't know if we talked about it or not um, the problem is, is that next to that verse that says that we have an annulment of loans at the end of the seven years we have a verse that says well seven years is coming at the end right? it's going to be the end of the seventh year and suddenly someone comes to borrow money from you <laughs> and there's a myth in the Torah that says do not withhold lending the guy money just because it may, it may get annulled. Now, of course, if we actually believed in God, if we had perfect faith, a thousand percent, that wouldn't be a problem for us. The problem is even 2,000 years ago, they didn't have perfect faith. Uh, and people would withhold lending because, you, you know, why, who would do that, right? Well, aren't they violating the Torah? And they're violating the Torah law. So that's why Hillel, Hillel was the president of the Sanhedrin, and the leader of the Jewish people, famous Hillel, we know him, right? So he lived at the end of the... Uh, at the end of the first century of the Common Era, before the Common Era, and into the first century. He lived a very, very, very long time. He was over 100 years old when he died. He developed, so he didn't invent, but he developed a legal loophole where someone can, at the end of the Shemitah year, uh, can, so to speak, give over their loans to the court. Now, the, the trick here is that the court individual loans from one person to another person are annulled at the end of the Shemitah year. But loans given to an institution uh, or loans given, dispersed by an institution, those are not annulled at the end of the Shemitah year. So what Hillel developed is this document called the Prusbol, wherein someone would take all the loans that they have outstanding give them over to the proxy of the court, and now the guy doesn't owe him, he owes the court, and then kind of the, the transaction works is that, okay, now the court, you owe the court money, and the court's going to give the money to me. Okay. So, so they take a percentage. Credit default swap. Credit default swap. So the court takes a percentage then? No, the court doesn't take a percentage. But, but, but the reason why Hillel did this, by the way, this is, there's a, there's a, there's a series of Mishnahs that talk about tikkun olam. That term first appears in Mishnahite sources regarding Hillel. Uh, Hillel and Rabbi Yochanan Zakei, where they made these developments in Torah to uphold Torah. Right? And the, and the Mishnahites are very clear. Hillel saw that people were not fulfilling the mitzvah of lending money because the Shemitah year, Shemitah cycle was, was upcoming. So he didn't do it to change, he didn't change the Torah, this is also, also an important thing. He didn't change any, any law of Torah. He just standardized the process of avoiding the annulment of, of loans. He just standardized that process. And, but he, his intention was to uphold the Torah. Well, I understand. Prevented 
perpetual dependency by this loophole. Is what well, or perpetual non obedience to this mitzvah. And one mitzvah of the Torah is very and crucial. And non-obedience to the mitzvah, but also right. you got the person to also ultimately realize you can't just indefinitely Oh yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, but people suffer for that, right? Because like, it's, it's not just, it's not just uh, the entitlement of the, of the borrower, but it's also the losses of the, of the creditor, Correct. right? Lender. Well, it's also losses to the entire economy. Credit is a, a lubricant of the economy. It can grow the yes. societal economy. Yes. It's good for the society without a credit. Yeah. And if you cannot issue credit, then... It can grow so fast. Yeah. People think that they don't, never have to pay back credit. The system falls, too. So, yeah. Maybe yeah. would that would that be yeah, something yeah. Of, which would hamper? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they like. Do, do people like put their credit score on their uh, mar- marriage profile? On someone told me yesterday we had a we had a big event yesterday, a torch event. Uh, we had a young professionals event at casino night. So I was talking to one of my friends. It was an amazing event. You can actually watch it all on Facebook. Someone put up a video like a, uh, that was like streaming it all to Facebook live. So it's three hours in case you're interested in watching it. I don't know why you would. But we had, we had you know, 100, 100, 150 young adults. It was amazing. And I was talking to one of my friends. I hadn't seen him in a while when he was coming to this event. And he was, he was talking about, about J-Date. Mm-hmm. But he called it J-Desperation. <laughs> <laughs> Do people put on their J Desperation page? They put their credit score. I don't know. Really? That's that's something. That's the latest. Yeah, that's a new thing. I don't know. Is that common? It's It's interesting. Like, but that's a big factor in someone's. You want to buy a house? Want to get a car? If you have a bad credit score, also I think a a good credit score would show certain degree of of prudence. In, in your Stability. financial life. Well, if you're in, in your middle age, not in your 17, right? Yeah. But, uh, can you give us an example of some more modern times interpretation of classical Jewish business law? Yes, so... Um, in 2000 years ago, how about 100 years? Yeah, so what about... Um, now, like, like I said, if you want to actually get do this pro- properly, like there's... Entire books, like entire bookshelves, you can fill with detailed analysis. We're just trying to get a little. Well, I'm not. I'm not such an expert in this. I assure you, uh, but it's still interesting, right? Um, what about competition? What are the laws about unfair competition? What are the laws about predatory competition? A lot of very interesting questions. So, I know in America we like the idea of competition, like the, the American notion of competition is like, let's have laissez-faire, right? As opposed to in Europe, they're very much more... Um, yes, they're socialist and very, very much more careful about maintaining competition, so to speak, by crippling the big player. That's why all the big companies, big American companies, they all get these antitrust stuff in, in France and Europe and European Union. But even in America, of course, we have anti-competition laws in the form of patents, right? A patent or intellectual property. We have antitrust an, laws here, too. Right, but the antitrust laws here are, are, are primarily about saving the consumer, that the consumer shouldn't suffer, as opposed to in, in Europe, it's about uh, trying to help the competition, so, so to speak, to level the playing field by hampering the more capable uh, competitor. Um, what does the Torah say about this? So this, of course, once again, this is a, a huge 
a huge uh, topic, uh, but the, the main Gemara talks about what happens if someone has a fishing net. A fishing net set up uh, in a certain area to catch all the fish. And then the competitor says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my net and just put it 12 feet in front of yours. Any fish that was supposed to come into yours is not going to come into mine. Are you allowed to do that? So the Gemara says that you would not be allowed to do that. As this is an example. If someone has, a, like, think of it as a proverbial stream of business, and you're just, you know, you're, you're disintermediating him, but quite literally. That's, that's interesting. Uh, but, but what's to stop? Why wouldn't the Torah say there's nothing stopping the next guy from putting in front of him and then putting in front of him. That's what competition is. But is that really competition? Or, or is, no, is, that, it is. is that innovation? In you're not really in, you're, uh, you're not innovating in any way. It's not like you're developing anything new. It's not real competition. You know, you, you're only, the only thing that you, that you actually innovated was putting your net in a way that's a few feet in front of your competitor. It's not really, is that really competition? Or is competition where you're trying to innovate, trying to do better, trying to make cheaper, trying to increase productivity? Is that really competition? Well, suppose you put another store that's exactly the same and a different trade name next to, I mean, like, if you go to a mall, they have, like, 15 shoe stores. So that's that's a more interesting question, because there you're not actually going right in front just to to take the fish that they would have automatically have gotten, and you're you're not innovating in any way. A lot of mom and pops accuse Walmart of driving them out of business. And, now, and accuse, and that's fact. That's, that's happened. It's not a fact. I don't think it's not because you can go, you, you could say Lowe's and Home Depot drive Ace Hall Spa, but if you right. go to Ace Hall Spa, because they, they charge more, but they serve you better, yeah. they don't ignore you like they do at Lowe's and Home right. Depot, they stay in business and they thrive. So I think that it's an excuse to, uh, you know, when you're saying that somebody drives somebody, it's just fair competition. Yeah. Walmart never has put the any other business out of business. Mm-hmm. The individuals that decide to shop there instead of mom and Put the mom pop out of business. But I, but I think Walmart, Walmart is not doing what this guy with the fish is doing. Walmart's actually innovating. You know, Walmart's having cheaper prices. How is that innovating? That's just having cheaper prices. They're having better, better distribution and better distribution channels. Get rid of competition. Okay, so let's say Chris costs a dollar sixty-seven. They'll price it at a dollar, even though it costs them a dollar ten. That's then a less classic cost cut. Yes, but they'll do it across the thing. And then when they've driven out the local oh, then they raise the price. Then they come in, and now it's a dollar seventy. And there's a lovely book called The Walmart Effect, which goes into it in detail. And there are a number of uh, towns which have fought against Walmart entering because yeah. they know that when Walmart comes in, it's the end of Main Street. It's the end of but the small But conversely, the argument against that would be well, but the consumer benefits because prices are cheaper, and etc. But, but is that a net? Because a net is a net, right? A net is. But All nets are the same, so to speak. To Look at another wall. <laughs> yeah, a massive, massive. Bath, massive. Bath net is much bigger than next to the But not in front. Oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. price. Okay. So, but what about so, you have kosher restaurants? Like, very so there's a lot of questions about this. And then you had another Genesis came out and other places. Like Genesis, for instance, is a kosher restaurant. And they have business net and something. Yeah, I know. We had our... 
party there. But in any case, can another restaurant come on that same parking lot that is kosher to attract the so, same So the Gemara talks about what happens if someone has a mill. Now, not a very popular business they have today, but someone has a, a, a mill that, uh, that grinds flour, or grinds wheat, and it's a business where they contract out their mill to people, to farmers, right? So someone has a mill here, can the, can the, can the other person um, open an establishment, another mill on the same street? Um, and of course, the variables, of course we don't have so much time, but there, there are variables, like what if someone's at the end of, of a dead end? So you have a pizza shop, kosher pizza shop, right? And then the neighbor opens the kosher right across the street. And there's no way that the community can sustain two pizza shops. So it's essentially it's a de- you know it's it's a um, it's a, it's a zero sum game, right? There's no way that they could both thrive. So the the factors would be okay. Well, um, you by opening up your second pizza shop are in effect if you're successful. Right. If you're not successful, then you should be opening it anyhow. But if you are successful, you're going to eliminate the guy, your guy across the street. You're going to eliminate the guy's livelihood. So the factor that you have to take into account, the Gemara talks about this, can I, and even certainly should I, open up a business that the only way for me to succeed if there's another guy who's unemployed now and has no way to feed his family? Is that the kind of business you want to get into? Is that kind of, you know, I think there's a moral question... Yeah, like it, the community can handle one pizza shop. There already is one pizza shop. It's not the best pizza. You don't like the service. Fine. But by you opening a pizza shop, the, if you fail, you shouldn't open it to begin with. If you succeed, you know that there's someone now with, he has kids, he has to pay his tuition, he has to pay his mortgage, and he doesn't have any. Right. So that, but. Uh, no, but he's, he's uh, the rabbi's saying that. If the fellow moving in or the, the company moving in already knows that only one of the two are going to survive, how, is it how do you know that? Well, by assume, you, you assume. know, you, you can figure out by what, what's that's the word for uh, competition uh, type of art. I'm sorry, the Gamora, right. So I thought we promoted more freedom. In our well, we that's uh, the thing. This is the, these are we're not these are very broad discussions, and we're just kind of opening so the question. We have, have no answers yet. Is the same that they couldn't? Not to do it? So Talmud brings a dispute, and it brings, there's a lot of variables, like are you going to eliminate the other guy's uh, livelihood, which is one question. Another question is, where does that person live? Can I come from a neighboring town, not pay taxes in our town, and open up a business? So I have an unfair advantage. It's like the big question they had with Walmart, uh, not with Walmart, but with Amazon, where Amazon, they only had distribution centers in places that, um, that uh, with regards to sales tax. So they would have distribution centers in, uh, in places that had no sales tax, and they would have not a single office in Texas, for example. So it's an unfair advantage because if you want to buy in the local store, you're going to pay 8.25, whatever it is, 6.25% in sales tax. You order from Amazon, not only is it a wonderful experience, but also you're saving money. And that's an unfair advantage because they're not, and the state of Texas is losing, even the consumers benefit, state of Texas is losing, and the, the Texas people that actually have businesses here are losing because they're paying taxes, and, that, and, 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 by, by, and by Amazon avoiding the whole tax thing, they, uh, you know, they benefit unfairly. So that Gamar talks about that. What if I have a business in town, I live in town, I pay taxes in town. Some guy from the neighboring town pays no taxes in town. And he wants to open a business, and he's going to have an advantage, of course, over me by not paying taxes, and it's the same exact business, and by then, he has an unfair advantage. So that's my 
classical case of competition. That's the case of of an unfair advantage. It's not an even fa- now playing you're field. Getting into states' rights. One state right. has taxes and the other doesn't. Yeah. So what actually happened with Amazon is that Amazon agreed to to charge taxes right. across the board, and yeah. that w- you know because not um, th- of all the advantages of an online business against a brick and mortar, uh, this was just an unfair one. Um, according, to, I, I, I would have preferred to not pay taxes. What about the flip side of that model? Uh, uh, entrenched interest. Tesla certainly wanted to uh, was forbidden from a whole bunch of states, for instance, New Jersey. Opening of selling them without dealers, direct, uh, yeah. direct, which will save money to the company, the consumer, but entrenched interest is dealer association and a lot of money North that Carolina, goes to uh, Texas. By the way, uh, they they lobbied legislation to for, for prohibit it because there is but a they didn't give as much as much law. money uh, in political donations yeah. as they protect their patch. How so different from the existing well, pizza parlor? I, I make a different yeah. argument on Tesla. Tesla shouldn't have government um, taking Some money out of our pockets to buy that with their subsidies. If Tesla wants okay, to, what about uh, a new bank, a new bank moving into the state, right? So, so yes, to, uh, five minutes. I want to just quickly wrap up with some examples of this question. Um, so, um, the consensus is built that um, if there, if the competitor is actually going to have better prices, better service, better merchandise, so that's not a case of someone just coming in and putting the net in front of it. Right, that's the case of someone actually innovating, working hard, trying to have better productivity, and earn the money of the. Uh, of, uh, earn their business, and of course that would, in most cases, uh, be allowed. Um, uh, necessary monopolies. We have this as well over here, where the, there are monopolies Natural. in the form of, uh, it doesn't make sense to have uh, two different power lines that go to, to the house. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to, to invest in it, so you have to have a monopoly. But if you have a monopoly, then it has to be governed, because otherwise, it has to be regulated, because otherwise they can charge whatever they want, because you need your electricity. Um, so that would be a case where um, a monopoly protection benefits everyone uh, and, and would be allowed. What about teaching Torah? So you have a shul in town. This is an interesting question. There's one shul in town, and then the other shul says, oh, I want to open up, I open up another shul. Can there, we say, listen, but you're going to take away our members, take away our members, take away our membership, take away our membership, and then we can't uh, have all the things that we have. Can you say, is there any realm? I certainly think you should be able. So this is interesting because we said there cannot, be, there, there has to be competition in, in Torah, right? If there's a school and someone wants to open, open up another school, they cannot stop them because we want to have as much vibrancy and competition as Torah. Because you know what? What happens when one the neighboring shul opens? Suddenly, you know, the rabbi has to up his game. He's got to work in his speech a little bit more. <laughs> the, the facilities are cleaned, uh, you know, more frequently, and everyone benefits uh, for that. Um, I have some a whole list of questions here. Um, that I thought were very interesting. Uh, what about if someone is able to access the customer base of their comp- competitor? Can they use that? Uh, if you're somehow able to access the, the list of, of clients that your competitor is using, would you be allowed to, to, to use that? This is the but, proprietary Well, let's say you get it, right? You get it. I'm going to ask you how you got it. So they, they dropped it on weekly leaks, right? Can you use that? or that Because that, that person invested money in that. You, he didn't give it to you, right? You you acquired it's it illegal. nefariously. Yeah. If I, let's assume it's not illegal, it's just something available online. Can you use that? You do yeah. get well, that when let's illegal. say somebody I'm is sorry, working yes. for one company, quits, goes to another company, and brings the information with them. 
that's illegal. If you get it, there are some non-disclosures against that. What about can you trash your 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 competitors? Right, but it happens all the time. What about in, in industries the where they that's the business, days. right? If you watch any, <laughs> I only only television I watch is uh, is football, but they always have these. They had this thing where the guy was from Sprint. He took a uh, he took a um, like a weed whacker or something like that, and he took it like a Verizon bill, and chopped it in half, you know. And all you see, all the the telecommunications that that's their marketing models that we're cheaper than Verizon. No, but Verizon, right? It's all, it's like, this is how many balls uh, uh, um, T-Mobile has, and this is how many Verizon has. Like, that, that's what their marketing is. So would that change, you know? Typically, you know, the, the best way to, uh, to promote your business is not necessarily by trashing your competitor, but rather by upping your game. Um, in a business where that's the marketing, that's what everyone does, and then, of course, that would change, uh, that, that would change it as well. What about this is an interesting question. We'll stop with that. This will be the last one. There's more. Of course, we don't have so much time. Uh, what about Amazon reviews? Uh, what so about you, what? Reviews. Amazon reviews. Are you allowed to post you're selling a product on Amazon? You make a new Amazon account. Oh, I love this. It's great. It's wonderful. Five stars. And somebody else says it sucks. It does this. It oh, and then you go to your, your competitor and you say, oh, I bought it. And the package was wonderful. Right? speech? Well, yeah, but it's deception. It's what? It's deception. Well, maybe. It, well, a contrary view in is America, not necessarily deception. But it's not contrary view, right? It's, it's a lie. not. It's yes. Are you allowed to lie in America? Free speech. No. Is that against well, the Torah? Yes. yes. But legally, yes. But morally, no. Uh, and maybe. Okay. So, the, is it moral to uh, to do that? Uh, where you're, promo- you're, it's a fake review. You're presenting as if you're an unbiased, verified purchaser. You bought it and you like it, and you just want to share that with the world. But really, you just want to promote your own business. And then you go to your competitors and say, one star. Oh, terrible, 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 terrible. And now it's like promoting books. People write in. All their friends send in the thing. <laughs> little blurbs. Yeah. yeah. So but, it's an interesting question. But wait a minute. Doesn't Jewish law say you don't defame? Someone else in order to benefit. Well, what if you're trying to save the populace from using them, right? Uh, it's if an interesting you know question. You're not, if you know you're doing it just to promote yourself, you're not trying to save. This would all fall the laws of the show, No, okay, but yes, yeah, I would agree as well. Yes, yes. And like our business, we deal with lists and competitors are really likely our company deals with it. They always say, "Don't ever badmouth your competitor. You need to say good things about them. We're glad they're doing." I also think it's not good for business. You know, yeah, it's, it's not good for business to, to trash your competitor. So I like that they handle it in a very What about showrooming? Uh, I just have this is a great question. Yeah. Showrooming. Are you allowed to walk into Best Buy with zero intention of buying anything there? Yeah. Uh, it's just your, you, you, instead of going to Amazon, reading the product reviews, yeah. you just want to just use it. So yeah, that, Dennis Prager had an analogy to that with a car dealer. He said, you cannot go and test drive a car if you have no intention of buying. In other words, so you don't this is based upon the Gemara. The Gemara says that the you cannot. Do that all the time. You cannot walk into a store because you're walking into the store. You're giving the owner, the proprietor, right. the impression, "Oh, there's a new customer. Let me show him around." Right? And you have zero intention of buying anything. Right. Then you're just taking their resources 
and they're you know and making them believe something that's untrue. Either way, lots of interesting questions. We we barely barely well, scratched the few. Person, I'm just checking it out. Like a lot of times, you know, yeah, women might go shopping. to a store, but when they're shopping, we might look at some shirts. A customer will come. Up, I mean, a, a long lady will come over. May I help you find something? You say to the person, I'm kind of looking on my own. I don't plan to buy today. I might come back in the future. So that's different. So if if, you if you're actually going to buy in the future, potentially, then that, that of course, would be different. Or if the store's full and they don't notice you coming in and they're not, you're not going to take any salespeople away from peop- from real potential customers, all those factors would uh, would apply. But you have to be honest. That's the whole thing. You should be honest. Of course with you have to be honest. You. Well, suppose you go in and investigate how they're doing business and you, you know you do all the things doubting yeah. the competitor oh, shopper. Shopper. Yeah. checking it out <laughs> because one of the lie detectors is such a good I mean uh, they're not so necessarily mis- I don't think they're li- admissible in court they're not no well the lie detector the Torah uses is swearing on a Torah scroll that's what that's what we use if you being under oath that's under oath exactly Okay, guys, lots of fun. I'll see you all next week.